big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. I feel like I'm the feisty one of us. Too. Yeah, you're the feisty one and I'm the... You're the sweet one. You're the... Fine. I was going to say spicy, but... No, no. No, you're... I am. I'm the sweet one. Welcome to Pod and Prejudice. I'm Molly. I'm Becca. And I've never read any Jane Austen in my life. I've read many Jane Austen novels many times. And today we're going to talk about chapters 16 through 18 of Pride and Prejudice. If you are just joining us now, that is the premise of this podcast. We are reading Pride and Prejudice, the first of many Jane Austen novels to come, and talking about them chapter by chapter, going deep into this world, trying to figure out why these classics are classics. So now we are here to talk about chapters 16 through 18 of Pride and Prejudice, a saucy couple chapters. These chapters are spicy. Yes, they are. So last time we spoke, Molly had just met Mr. George Wickham for the first time. All we know really about him so far is that he's a standard hottie. Yes, uh, George Wickham is drool-worthy. Is that actually what Jane Austen wrote? I don't think so, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> she gets close sometimes. She does. I want to say that a lot of my notes for this chapter were the words yikes, big yike, and savage. Two of these chapters just take place at parties, mm -hmm. different parties, mm -hmm. of very different types. The first one takes place at Miss Phillips' house at a dinner party with a bunch of soldiers. Them soldiers are rowdy in Jane Austen novels. <laughs> yeah, they are. I guess we should just get into it. Yes, we should. So this is chapter 16 mm -hmm. of Pride and Prejudice. Where we last left off, Mrs. Phillips was promising to host a party for all of the soldiers and was like, oh, girls... You should come. I'll invite Mr. Wickham. It'll be great. And Mr. Collins is also there. <laughs> so they go to the dinner party. Collins arrives with the girls and he's admiring the Phillips house, marveling at the size and the furniture and says, it's almost like being in the small summer breakfast parlor at Rosings. <laughs> I feel like bringing him is like bringing your most embarrassing cousin to any party ever. That's exactly what it is. And he just sits in the corner the entire time on his Nintendo DS or whatever. I, I never had any sort of like Game Boy system. I, I'm going to get grilled by the gaming community for this, aren't I? <laughs> I didn't either. I had, I had, um, what's the, the little one? The Play Game, Playboy? <laughs> game Boy? Game Boy. So your weird cousin sits in the corner of the party with his Tamagotchi. Yeah. And that's, that's oh, the feeling. Yeah, but here's the Thing that I learned about myself through this chapter. I love Mr. Collins. 
Oh, no. Literally, so many notes just say, oh, Mr. Collins, or like, poor boy. Yeah, especially, what is it when it says that now that the girls are with soldiers, they have no reason to pay attention to Mr. Collins? Yes. So he just sits with a coffee and a muffin? Yeah, plenty of coffee and muffins, which is nice. I mean, it's not a bad way to live, but it really says something if the girls are just ignoring you to a point where you're eating breakfast food at a dinner party. Yes, well, to be fair, this is like the hors d'oeuvres section. Right, right. So yeah, that happens. And while, well, actually before that happens, he's talking to Mrs. Phillips and she, he gives her that kind of backhanded compliment, but then explains how gorgeous Rosings is and then she takes it as the highest compliment. Then they talk for a while and the girls are just sitting there staring at their indifferent Im imitations of China on the mantelpiece, which means that they, they're plates that the girls have painted themselves to look like fancy china. I looked this up. Oh my um, god. And that she just keeps on her mantelpiece, so it's kind of like looking at these little hand-tracing Thanksgiving turkey. Oh! That you, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. That's something that I do with my little cousin mm -hmm. from my mom's sister's daughter's side. We keep his drawings on the fridge and we can tell that it's his next to his father's because his father's an artist and it's really beautiful and then his is just like got a tear down the middle and we're like, yes, Grant, you did a great job. Aww. Yeah, it's exactly like that. But then the soldiers come and nobody cares about Collins anymore. And everyone is just all eyes on Wickham, who is hot. Resident hottie George Wickham. Do we have a picture in your brain for who would play George Wickham? Not yet, but I did get a very powerful picture for Collins this time. Oh, I'm which, excited. Yes, well, let me tell you, you did actually already bring this up in a previous episode, mm -hmm. but I was like, okay, going with it, trying to still get an idea of who Collins is. And this set of chapters, he is so powerfully Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart. Yes! It wasn't until now. I think it's probably because mm -hmm. of the current Potterless episodes. Shout out. Shout out to Potterless going through the second Harry Potter movie right now that I just have Kenneth Branagh in my head. But he is so... Gilderoy Lockhart. He's aggressively got Kenneth Branagh energy, which is pretentious try-hard energy. No yeah. hate to Kenneth Branagh. Love Kenneth Branagh. Love Gilderoy Lockhart. So Wickham arrives. I don't have a picture for Wickham yet. Just like a handsome, maybe with like a mustache, but he can pull it off. And he sits by Elizabeth and starts talking about the weather. And she thinks that, quote, the commonest, dullest, most threadbare topic might be rendered interesting by the skill of the speaker. And I think this is where I texted you and went, does Lindsay have a crush on Wickham? Without spoiling anything, I was actually watching Pride and Prejudice, the Keira Knightley version, when she texted me this. <laughs> and I just started laughing. <laughs> that is all I will say. Yeah, well... Now it's pretty clear to me that Lizzie does have a crush on Wickham, cool, obviously. Yeah. But this was the first hint of it that I got. Yeah, our clear-headed girl is kind of getting a little... A little not clear-headed. Yeah, like happens a little... to the best of us. <laughs> it does. Then they go to start playing cards, and Mrs. Phillips and Mr. Collins sit down to whist, which is like bridge, apparently. And he's trying to say, like, oh, I don't really know much about this game, but I'd really like to learn because blah, blah, blah. And she just stops listening. <laughs> She's, like, happy to play with him, not happy to listen to him talk anymore. At the other table, Wickham sits between Lizzie and Lydia. And there is almost the danger that Lydia will not let anyone else get a word in with him. But she gets too involved in the game, which I love. I love, I love Lydia. I just, like, picture her being like, oh, my God, Mr. Wickham. No, that's mine. And, like... 
Yeah, it almost gets to a point where the two of them are clearly in this battle for Wickham and his attentions, and you can just see Lydia kind of like moving her bosom up to try to <laughs> oust Lizzie, but then she gets too distracted by the fun things happening in another corner. Yeah. So Lizzie's like, yes, I get to pounce in with interesting conversation. <laughs> I fucking love Lydia, though. Gotta respect Lydia. Gotta respect the game of Lydia. <laughs> yeah, she has no filter and no restraint. Like, she will go up to anyone and ask anything. Which, in its way, is revolutionary in this time. Yeah. Not gonna spoil anything. There's a couple Austin heroines or siblings that have this energy of doing things impulsively and not really caving into those social etiquette things. And a lot of the time, it's really embarrassing for their family. But mm -hmm. also, from a modern perspective, I'm like, yeah, girl. Fuck yeah. So Lizzie and Wickham get to talking. Though... Quote, what she chiefly wished to hear, she could not hope to be told. The history of his acquaintance with Mr. Darcy. Spicy. So spicy. But then he brings it up. Yeah, he is really ready to talk shit. We find out in this conversation that he's been connected with the Darcys since his infancy. And he's like, oh, Lizzie, this might surprise you based on how coldly we interacted the other day. And she's like, what? I barely noticed. <laughs> Yeah, she tries to play it real cool, but she's not. But, like, he knows it wasn't subtle. Have you ever had any person that you can't hide your hate for? Yes. Yes. I'm bad at hiding my emotions in general, mm -hmm. so, like, if I'm angry, everyone's like, Molly, what's wrong? And you're like, oh, I'm just not as peppy as I usually am. Yeah. See, I have a, I have a shit list, and it's really hard to get on the shit list, mm -hmm. but once you're there, I have no care in the world for how uncomfortable it makes other people how much I hate you nice and I feel like Wickham and Darcy have that kind of dynamic of oh even in this super etiquette laced world mm -hmm. we're just gonna be really awful to each other mm -hmm. I think Darcy is more trying to be awful and Wickham is trying to cover it up but in doing so being more awful does that make sense it's like a couple that broke up in a really close group of friends, but it ended really badly, like Ross and Rachel in oh. season three of Friends. Darcy and Wickham is Ross and Rachel. The Wait. Ross and Rachel of the Austin universe. The new OTP. There is definitely fan fiction of that. Oh, absolutely. Also, that would be hot. That's a different podcast. Yeah, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Sorry, so. that's a different podcast. That's the Austin After Hours podcast. Please subscribe to my non-existent Patreon. Anyway, Jane Austen. Anyway, Jane Austen. So... So where were we? We were talking, we were about, talking about the fact hatred. that Wickham has yeah. brought up his hatred of Darcy and Lizzie is just hanging on the edge of every word. So he asks Lizzie if she's well acquainted with Darcy and she says, as much as I ever wish to be, which is sassy. I feel like we need to keep tally on how many times Lizzie burns Darcy in these chapters. Oh yeah. Okay. So is this number one? This is burn number one. All right. Burn number one, as much as I ever wish to be. She goes on to say that she thinks he's really disagreeable. Burn number two? Burn number two. <laughs> Wickham says that he doesn't want to say anything because he can't be impartial, but informs Lizzie that her opinion of him would actually be widely regarded as incorrect which is interesting to me, um, that maybe if she weren't among a family right now, she might not speak so poorly of Darcy. And she says, no, she would say the same anywhere except maybe Netherfield, nice. And that everyone in Hertfordshire hates him. We can call it the Shire. The Shire. Okay, so I have comments <laughs> on that later, very soon, but I'll just say them now. They keep blocking out the first part of the Shire, whatever, wherever they are. So I'm just reading this like I'm reading Lord of the Rings. 
Yeah, we're just going to call it The Shire because my copy also blocked it out. It's so weird. I don't understand, but sure, The Shire. This one, for some reason, it did say Hertfordshire. But in any event, everyone in The Shire hates him and is disgusted specifically with his pride. And Wickham says that he can't pretend to be sorry that that's how he's seen, but that, on the whole, the world is blinded by his fortune and frightened by his high and imposing manners and sees him only how he chooses to be seen. And Lizzie says that she hopes Wickham won't leave The Shire because of his being there. And Wickham basically is like, no, if he doesn't want to see me, then he can leave. Oh my god, I love this because Wickham keeps being like, oh, I don't want to speak ill of him, but, oh, I mean, you can. Wickham is so mean girls in this moment. Yeah, we just need to crack Gretchen Wieners. Say crack three times. <laughs> crack, crack, crack. Yeah, George Wickham's got some Gretchen Wiener vibes right here. His yeah. hair is really big. <laughs> so he explains then that Darcy's father was his truest friend, and whenever he sees Mr. Darcy, he's pained with a thousand tender recollections. Then he goes on to speak about, you know, other things. Meryton, the neighborhood, how much he loves society, and that he actually came to the military here because he wanted constant good society, and his spirits will not bear solitude. He is an extrovert, mm -hmm. and Darcy is an introvert. Oh, for sure. So I like this dichotomy that we've got going on. Mm -hmm. Where would you put Lizzie? Ooh. I think Lizzie's an extrovert, too. And you can't have two extroverts together. We've been over this before. Have we? We had an entire conversation about how Jane is... Right! Yeah, Jane oh my and gosh, Bingley. Yeah. How Jane is an introvert and Bingley's an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And Bingley's an extrovert and Darcy's an introvert. And that you have to have these opposites. These, these yins, Which these is yins. why Lizzie and Wickham probably won't work out. Okay. Molly's looking at me like she wants me to tell her what's going to happen. I don't. I don't want her to tell me what's going to happen. But... She was trying to read my face there. <laughs> and I'm like, Molly, this is the point of the podcast. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> How would it feel for our three listeners? How would they feel if I figured it out? I mean, you could figure it out or you could not figure it out. I wouldn't tell you either way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Then he says he wasn't intended for the military, but he needs the society. In fact, he was brought up for the church. And, quote, I should have at this time been in possession of a most valuable living had it pleased the gentleman we were speaking of just now. And I was like, what? And then it turns out that Darcy's father was Wickham's godfather and had left him the next presentation of the best living in his gift, but it was given elsewhere. What is the living? Because this comes back a lot. It is the inheritance. Oh, like the money. Yeah, this is money we're talking about. Oh. This is very much a class struggle. Wickham is from the lower of the classes. Darcy from the higher. Because of that, Darcy has this certain power over Wickham. And what Wickham's saying is that his father, Darcy's father, loved Wickham so much that he left him, well, he's basically saying he left him a Mr. Collins, a Catherine de Bourgh sort of situation, mm. but also that he was gonna have some sort of money from the Darcys. So wait, he left him that he was gonna be the Mr. Collins to Catherine de Bourgh? Catherine de Bourgh! Yeah, that's what he means okay, when he says- the, the church. Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. But also, the big part of this is that Darcy Sr. tried to leave Wickham a good chunk of money. Money, the living. And Got it. And it was left elsewhere. I'm assuming Darcy took it. That is his claim. Okay. So Lizzie is just as shocked as me by this information, saying, how could his will go so disregarded? And I, in that respect, was wondering if they can disregard that guy's will, why can't the fucking girls just inherit Longbourn? 
<laughs> or is it different because that's an entail, not a will? The difference is what Wickham says right after, which is, oh, it was informal. Ah, yes, you're right. That's the next thing in my notes. <laughs> yeah. So it was informal. Yeah, he says that an honest man wouldn't have ever doubted the intention of this informal... Arrangement. Arrangement. But Darcy chose to doubt it, or to just treat it like a recommendation, and claimed that Wickham had forfeited his claim to it due to extravagance, imprudence, and didn't really have any real grounds for saying that. I think this all seems suspect on both sides. I don't know who to believe right now about this, so that's all I'll say on that. The living, or this large sum of money, was given to another man, didn't say it was Darcy, flat out, two years ago, exactly as Wickham had become old enough to take it. So... He has nothing. Or he has something, but not enough. No, he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything? <gasps> Ooh, spicy. That's why he's in the military. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh. It's an honest living for him. He gets the society. He gets money. It's his only option at this oh, point. Oh, I really like him. Oh, I do. He doesn't really know what he did to lose it. He says in general he's warm and unguarded, and he's done nothing worse than sometimes just tell Darcy what he really thinks of him. Which I think is enough for Darcy to, like, not not give him any money. And Lizzie says that Darcy deserves to be publicly disgraced. I think that's burn three? Burn three. Yep. Wickham says that he won't be the one to do it. And Lizzie wonders what his motives were. Wickham says it was jealousy that his father loved him more than he loved Darcy. And Lizzie says, though she never liked Darcy, she never thought he was this bad. She thought he didn't like people in general, but not that he would be out for revenge in this way. But I think, wouldn't it be better that he has a reason to be a dick? I think what she's saying is that she could not believe him so bad as to have cut off an old childhood mm. friend. She thought he was a grumpy piece of shit, mm -hmm. but this is like evil. Got it, got it, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah. Then I wrote in all caps, Darcy is pride. And Wickham is prejudice. That's all. <laughs> Actually, no. No, it has a lot of question marks and exclamation points. So it's yeah. more like, Darcy is pride and Wickham is prejudice? And Sure. Yeah. That, all right, that's where I'm, I'm going. And then for the rest of these chapters, I note every time that those words are used, which they, is a lot. Yeah, they start using prejudice a lot. I think I even highlighted it mm -hmm. in my Oh, it's copy. coming up in the next paragraph. Oh, yeah. So then I wrote, yes. I was right. She says she remembers Darcy boasting of his unforgiving temper, to which Wickham replies that he can't say anything. He can hardly be just to him. And then, oh, I guess he doesn't say it, but I said he's prejudiced. Oh my God, like the title. Like the title. <laughs> like the title. <laughs> and then Lizzie is just indignant, saying, how could he do this to his father's godson? And then she thinks about how she could add, a young man like you whose very countenance may vouch for your being amiable. How could you do this to someone so hot? Exactly, but she doesn't say it. <laughs> she thinks it, but then instead she says, uh, and someone who was his childhood best friend, basically. And Wickham says, yeah, we did live together, we grew up together. And then we find out that his father was initially in whatever business Mr. Phillips was in. I don't know what that is. I think is. that's a lawyer. Lawyer. But then he went into service for Darcy's father. And I was like, in what capacity? Later, they mentioned that he was his steward, meaning kind of a servant of sorts. Basically head servant, head I would assume. servant, yeah. Wait, I'm going to Google steward. Yeah. Downton Abbey may or may not have lied to me, so I just want to be sure. How can we not trust Downton Abbey? Oh, I don't trust Downton Abbey since season three. Y'all know what I mean. A person responsible for supplies of food to a college club or other institution. I think that that means, oh, manager of a property. He says Hagrid. Hagrid. 
Which, um, if I'm right about Mr. Phillips' career, is a massive step down. Yeah, I think something probably happened. Maybe there was some sort of something happened mm-hmm. there. When his father was going to die, Mr. Darcy, who cared for him so much, said that he was going to take care of his son, Mr. Wickham. And Lizzie marvels again how could Darcy be so cruel to basically his own brother. And Wickham says it all goes back to his pride, which is his best friend. His pride being his best friend. I don't know if you guys know this, but pride is in the title. It's in the title! (laughs) Yes, it is. He says that Darcy's pride is the closest thing he has to virtue, but has some impulses that are stronger than pride. Lizzie is like, has such pride ever done him any good? And it turns out his filial pride has made him very philanthropic and hospitable. His brotherly pride makes him a very good brother to his sister. The best of the brothers. Does he have more brothers? No, I think the best of the brothers generally. The best brother. Number one brother. Yeah. That's Darcy. You know what is interesting about Darcy is that no matter how people feel about him, everyone seems to agree he's a good brother. Yeah, he really loves his sister. Yeah. But he doesn't love his almost brother. Yeah, he doesn't. Blood runs thicker than hot men. You tried. I did. I did. That was not the definition of sticking a landing. Nope. <laughs> so good thing this is a podcast, so Molly can cut that. <laughs> I can, or I won't. Who knows? That would be a Darcy on Wickham crime. <laughs> so Lizzie asks about Darcy's sister, and he says that she's actually just as proud and arrogant as her brother. They used to be great friends, but she is nothing to me now, he says. Oof. Oof. But here's the thing about that. He later says that it would pain him to talk ill of a Darcy. And I laughed out loud. I was like, are you kidding me? He just spent a solid, I'm sure, like 45 minutes shitting on Mr. Darcy. And then he's like, oh, I could never speak ill of a Darcy. He's a sloppy bitch. He's a sloppy bitch. He says that a young Darcy girl is 15 or 16 and highly accomplished, which I, I noticed that Darcy talks a lot about ladies' accomplishments, so maybe he's like basing it all on his sister. She's still quite young, so mm-hmm. she's Well, not... she's like Lydia's age. Yeah, yeah, but Lydia, they talk about how Lydia was presented to society early. Mm-hmm. And mm, true. Darcy's sister is still kind of a mystery in this book. Mm-hmm. So then... I wrote, where's Darcy's mom? But they don't answer that yet. They try to talk about something else, but Lizzie just cannot stop. So she brings up Mr. Bingley, and Wickham doesn't know Mr. Bingley. And she says, you know, Bingley's so great. How could he be so wrong about Darcy? Like, do you think he really knows who he is? And Wickham says that Darcy is very different around people he considers equals. Among the rich, he is liberal-minded, just, sincere, rational, and even agreeable. To which I wrote, big yikes. Yeah, and we even already saw a little bit of this, which is he is so beloved by the Bingleys, Mm -hmm. but everyone in the Shire hates him because he spent the entire dance being like, I'm better than these people. Yeah. So he does have this little edge of classism to him. A big edge of classism. (laughs) Then Collins and Mrs. Phillips finish their game and he sits down between her and Lizzie. Turns out he lost every point. (laughs) But he assures Mrs. Phillips that money is a mere trifle since he makes enough money from Lady Catherine de Bourg. Catherine de Bourg. Five shillings doesn't matter to him. This is where I... I'll just read it out loud. Can't wait to see who plays Collins in the movie because I officially am picturing Kenneth Branagh specifically in the role of Gilderoy Lockhart. Wait a fucking minute! Did we talk about Lockhart in a previous episode when we first met Collins? Because now I see it! So Wickham overhears him mentioning Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Catherine de Bourgh! And asks Lizzie quietly how well acquainted with her he is. To which Lizzie says it's a new thing. And then we find out that Lady Catherine is Lady Anne Darcy's sister, making Catherine Darcy's aunt and her daughter his cousin 
and it is widely believed that Darcy and that cousin are supposed to unite the two houses and get married. And to this, Lizzie smiles and thinks of poor Caroline because all of her efforts will be in vain if he's already promised to someone else. Yeah. I mean... From our perspective, reading the book, we have seen how much Caroline is basically... Thirst trap. Well, yeah, I was gonna say talking to a wall in terms of this flirtation. He, like, really is not into he it. He is not into this. No. And now it's like Lizzie is getting a little context, although part of the context that she's missing is that Darcy's got this raging heart on for her. <laughs> but it does lend a little bit of explanation as to why Darcy's just not even thinking about Caroline Bingley. Poor Caroline. Honestly, I'm starting to like Caroline, so... Shut your mouth. Just because I feel bad for her. We do not have to like the people we pity, Molly. You're right, you're right, you're right. So Lizzie says that Mr. Collins speaks very highly of both of those ladies, but she thinks that he's misled, and that Lady Catherine is arrogant. Why does she think that? She has no grounds for thinking that. Well, you could go... On one hand, thinking about all the things Mr. Collins has said about her, mm -hmm. it does paint her as somewhat hoity-toity. Sure. Or you can go on the fact that Lizzie is very impressed with Mr. Wickham's biceps through his nice <laughs> red coat, and she's like, oh, yeah, we're keeping the shit piling going. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I totally hate, it. hate her, too. She's she's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, he has yeah. a smile for me, Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Wickham agrees and says that Lady Catherine is dictatorial and insolent, and that she's only considered clever because of her rank and fortune and her power comes from her pride of her nephew Darcy who chooses that everyone connected with him should have an understanding of the first class gross gross classism is rampant yes it is England yes I don't know if you're aware but they had a lot of class problems for years that persist today mm -hmm. but Jane Austen is very in tune with those class problems mm -hmm. which is why they come up in these novels history history so dinner time Lizzie gives the others a chance to talk to Wickham, but on her way home, she can think of nothing but him. Unfortunately, she cannot say anything about him because Lydia and Collins won't shut up the entire carriage ride home. So that's the end of that chapter. That is a lot of info. I feel like this is the first time you get some really serious info on Darcy's past. Yeah, I feel like he was a mystery to me until now. Now you have a little bit more background mm -hmm. on him, and it's not necessarily flattering. It's not. Molly is literally holding her chin. I'm at like stroking pondering. my beard. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a beard, but I'm just like, hmm. I have a lot to think about. So we're moving on to chapter 17. Lizzie tells Jane the whole dang story. And Jane decides in true Jane fashion that she will think well of them both. That they have both been deceived. And that people who are interested in either side have misrepresented each to the other and she just will have nothing more to do with it. Lizzie jokes around and is like, okay, sure, now let's form opinions of those interested people, clear their names too, or we might end up thinking ill of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and Jane is like, you can laugh all you want, but I don't think any man of humanity would be capable of treating his father's favorite in such a manner. Basically thinking that what Darcy did is so bad that it can't have really happened. And she doesn't want to think that Bingley would be so wrong about a person, which is sweet. She really has got a thing for Bingley. But also at the same time, it is really bad. It's it is a really bad. Really bad accusation 
to basically completely destroy a man who you grew up with. It's terrible. Yeah. Lizzie says that she could easily believe that Bingley is being imposed upon, like lied to by Darcy, rather than believe that Wickham is lying. It's so clear that Lizzie likes Bingley a lot as a person. She thinks he's a sweetheart, but yeah. she also thinks he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> she will not ever tell him any kind of secret. Not even like in terms of secrets, just in terms of like processing human emotions. Exactly. Yeah. She's like, you're a good match for Jane. Jane honey. can be the brains. Exactly. <laughs> you can be the pretty face. Jane is both the brains and the pretty face. That's true. And Bingley is there to look at her with nothing but pure adoration. Yeah. He just is supposed to stand there and do whatever she says. Oh. It's very sweet. Yeah. That's basically what I wrote. I said both Jane and Lizzie are crushing really hard now and Lizzie doesn't want to believe ill of Wickham and Jane can only think that Bingley would be so crushed if he finds out that Darcy actually sucks. Sad. So Bingley and all the sisters arrive at this point to invite them all to a ball at Netherfield. Yes, party. Time for the party. So the sisters are all just so nice to Jane and basically ignore everybody else. Especially Mrs. Bennet. They like they really don't talk to Mrs. Bennet at all. Well, she was so embarrassing last time. Oh, and oh, oh, is she embarrassing this time? Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's really excited about the ball. Mrs. Bennet thinks it's given especially for Jane. Jane is excited to hang out with her friends, the sisters. Does she really think that they're her friends? Jane sees the best in people. She just did mental gymnastics to make it as if Wickham and Darcy are both still good dudes. Yeah. I think at this point in time, you can tell that someone fucked up. You don't know who fucked up, but someone fucked up. And yeah. Jane's like, no. Nobody fucked up. Nobody fucked up. We're gonna like both of them. Yeah. That's what we're gonna do. So of course she thinks these Bingley girls like her. Yeah. Oh, uh, poor Jane. Lizzie's daydreaming about dancing the night away with Wickham and seeing the look on Darcy's face to confirm everything that Wickham said, which is interesting that she's relating it all back to Darcy. Just a, a thing I noted. Why are you so obsessed with him, Lizzie? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, she is. And Kitty are both planning on dancing with Wickham as well, but also couldn't care less who they dance with. They just want to dance. They want to feel the heat with somebody. <laughs> as Whitney said. Even Mary says that going to the ball will not be a sacrifice. <laughs> She says, society has claims on us all, and I profess myself one of those who consider intervals of recreation and amusement as desirable for everybody. I'm just picturing her sitting there with glasses and a cat and a cup of tea in an armchair in the library being like, yes, I will go to the ball. You know, everyone talks about how Lizzie's so out of her time, but Mary really was born in the wrong time period. Yes. She was born to be like a 21st century introverted lesbian in Williamsburg, <laughs> doing cross-stitching and listening to like goth music and like piercing her septum. Oh my god, I was so wrong about who's the gay one! <laughs> I thought it was Lydia for sure! Wow, you're right. So we've decided there's a different gay Bennett. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, Mary is officially the gay Bennett. And <laughs> Lizzie, though she normally wouldn't talk to him, she's just feeling very excited. She decides to ask Collins if he's going to go to the ball and if he finds it proper to join in the dancing, being in his position. And he says he's actually very excited to dance and he hopes that she'll save the first two for him. And she's like, oh shit. She literally, I wrote, she's like, shit, fuck, shit. <laughs> Also, just like you got that from Lizzie's perspective of like, oh, I'm in such a good mood. I'll even ask Mr. Collins if he's going. Imagine being Mr. Collins and Lizzie asks you, are you going to the ball? Aww, are you going to dance? Oh, he took it the wrong way. The wrong way. And so she agrees to do that. She thinks, oh, I guess I'll, my dancing with Wickham will just wait two dances. It's okay. Then she realizes in a 
crushing blow that he has selected her to be his wife. It's such a dark moment. It's so dark, and she starts noticing how he's always complimenting her wit and vivacity. And even her mom mentions that the probability of their marriage would be agreeable to her. And Lizzie's like, no. She decides that until he actually pops the question, she is not going to worry about it. And she's just going to go about her life as usual. She's not even going to talk about it with her mom. That is such a relatable way to deal with this. Yep. Oh God, he has a crush on me. What do I do? I'm going to ignore it until I have to deal. She just straight up ignores it. Like, what would you even do? The same. I would do the same. We're going to avoid some conflict <laughs> and just talk shit with Wickham. That's oh, the... they are such shit talkers together. They are such shit talkers. That, that, it's why they would be a good match. They like to hate on the same people. Oh, yeah, they do. Then it rains for several days. And if there hadn't been a ball to look forward to, everyone would be very depressed indeed. Kitty couldn't even leave and go to Meriton. So they're all just sitting around. And that is the end of chapter 17. Moving on to chapter 18, that was a nice short chapter leading into a very, very meaty chapter. Oh, this chapter is dishy. I don't even know how many pages of notes did I have on this. A lot. It I, took me so long to go through your notes. It took me until like an hour ago to type them. So chapter 18, it's the day of the ball and they arrive and Lizzie's looking around for Wickham and then whew, she realizes she hadn't even considered the possibility that he might not be there. Honestly, Lizzie, a little dumb. A little dumb being that you know that he really hates someone who lives there. Yeah, but have you ever like gone to a party thinking, oh, I'll just nonchalantly be there when my crush is there. Yes. And then they're not there. And, and you're you like, why the fuck am I here? And you shaved your legs. Yeah, literally what Lizzie's doing. It says that she took all of this extra care with getting ready, and I was like, Lizzie, that's very un-Lizzie-like. I know, she's like really into him. Yeah, and she, quote, prepared in the highest spirits for the conquest of all that remained unsubdued of his heart, trusting that it was not more than might be won in the course of the evening. She was out for the D. <laughs> Truly, and I... Like, if there, there was not any doubt leading up to this, but this is very straightforward. Oh, yeah, she is on the prowl. She's on the prowl. She is on the prowl. Which just feels un-Lizzie-like. I mean, the thing Lizzie has always said is she's not opposed to marriage and love. Right. She just was waiting for the right person, and someone had to really impress her. Mm -hmm. And then Wiccan comes, and he is... So pretty. He's very impressive. And all he wants to do is sit around and shit talk Darcy. Which, which she loves to do. Literally Lizzie's favorite thing Her in the favorite world. Activity. And so of course she's like, okay, here we go. I'm gonna like find my favorite bustier. I'm gonna find my favorite bloomers. We're gonna put in my favorite hairpiece. My curled bangs are gonna... I have a very specific image of what Lizzie looks like in this dance, mostly based on uh, certain movie adaptations, but... <laughs> to be completely honest, I, this entire time, have been picturing Keira Knightley and Colin Firth. <laughs> okay, I've forgotten the name of the actress who plays Elizabeth Bennet in the BBC masterpiece with Colin Firth, but she is exquisite. She is so good in this movie. And uh, Matthew McFadden plays Darcy in the Kira Knightley version, and he is also great. He is a very different take on it than Colin Firth. Mm, we're, gonna, like we're gonna get there, but I think it's pretty hilarious that you're still picturing those two. Well, I have <laughs> no other reference points, and in fact, I have to say that I do picture every man in the book as Colin Firth. <laughs> <laughs> Except Mr. Collins, Except who's Mr. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah, it's Kenneth Branagh and Colin Firth, and they're just and the entire cast. let's not forget about Daddy Bennett. Oh, and Daddy Bennett... Zachary Quinto. Amazing. Yeah. So now we have the entire cast laid out. <laughs> it's just Colin Firth and Prejudice. 
Colin, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the podcast. Please. If you can play every male role. Yeah. <laughs> except Mr. Collins and Mr. Bennett. Yeah. Then she realizes maybe, maybe they didn't invite him because of Mr. Darcy, which makes sense. Mr. Denny confirms and tells Lizzie and Lydia that Wickham had to go out of town on business. In quotes. His next line is, I do not imagine his business would have called him away just now if he had not wished to avoid a certain gentleman here. And he kind of mutters that under his breath so only Lizzie hears him, but she's like, mm, that makes me hate Darcy even more because he's keeping my Wickham from me. I <laughs> and she's brooding about it. Oh, yeah. She can't even talk to Bingley because his blind partiality irritates her. Yeah. Which is, I think, could be said the same for Jane. Well... Yeah, but she loves Jane so much. Yeah, but... She likes Bingley. She loves Jane. Yeah, I guess so. Also, it's one of those things, like, we were talking about earlier, how, like, when you're in a bad mood, and you're like, ugh, everything went wrong. Because she was so looking forward to, you know, snagging Wickham tonight. Yeah. Making a lot of eyes at him, staring at his face a whole bunch. Yeah. And now, her whole night's ruined, because she can't seduce Wickham. Yeah. And so she has to, like, bounce back from it. Which, to her credit, she does pretty well. Mm -hmm. But it is that moment of, like, ah, fuck. Everything I planned. Out the window. It sucks. She got... She shaved her legs for this. She shaved her fucking legs for this. <laughs> this is not out of personal experience. <laughs> not at all. I haven't shaved my legs in a year. I haven't shaved my legs in 12 hours. Wow. Well, you have like no leg hair. It's because I rarely shave my legs. Damn. Yeah. So she goes to complain to Charlotte, but then she's like, I'm going to move on. And she moves on to the subject of Mr. Collins, who then comes over to dance with her. And they do the first two dances, and he is bad at dancing and <laughs> he just keeps apologizing to her and I just feel so bad yeah what is it she says she is very dramatic about it it goes on she for says, a while I tried to sum it up I think she describes leaving him after dancing as sheer ecstasy the moment of her release from him was ecstasy in fact they were dances of mortification I'll just read it Mr. Collins awkward and solemn apologizing instead of attending and often moving wrong and without being aware of it gave her all the shame and misery which a disagreeable partner for a couple of dances can give this is like her describing really bad sex too yeah that is exactly what I thought he's not listening to her he's just apologizing for doing everything wrong he's fumbling and clumsy I mean okay I was gonna save this point for the study questions but we can bring it up now since you kind of brought it Mm -hmm. up dance in this time period is something a little different than it is today. Mm -hmm. This is probably the first time that either Mr. Collins or Mr. Darcy has physically touched Elizabeth. This is a big deal. They have never shaken hands. They like bow and curtsy to each other. Mm -hmm. They speak. Mm -hmm. They sit on opposite sides of a table. Mm -hmm. They play cards. Mm -hmm. There is no touching. But you'll see the way the dances were in this time period, it's a whole affair. It's like a really complicated partner line dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've started to get that, that like when one of them comes through the line and stops the dance. And they're 30 minutes for two dances, so each dance is 15 minutes long. Yeah, and it's the only time these people touch each other. Yeah. Can you imagine? Lizzie is a woman of a certain age. Mm -hmm. She's obviously got some hormones, despite what her time period tells her. These men obviously have hormones and are a little less repressed about it, but still pretty repressed. Mm -hmm. No one can touch each other except for this 30-minute stint where you hold hands 
and like lightly touch each other every so often while making eye contact. Yeah. And it's supposed to be this beautiful, graceful thing to music. Yeah. It's charged as hell. So when you say that it is described like sex, we are talking about a first touching interaction here. Yeah. And it does not go well for Mr. Collins. I feel so bad for him. Oh, you and I are in very different places on Mr. Collins. <laughs> but like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I am meaner than you. <laughs> yeah. So Lizzie goes back to Charlotte. And then Darcy pops up behind her. <laughs> like he did before. Like he's he just did like, before. He's just lurking. Hovering over her. And he asks her to dance. And she's so caught off guard by him being there that she accidentally says yes. And then he just is like, okay. And turns around and runs away. And... <laughs> I'm cackling. He's so awkward. Yeah, say what you want about Fitzwilliam Darcy, but he is a human disaster, no matter how you come out on him. <laughs> He's so awkward. He does not know how to handle himself. And she she turns to Charlotte, and she's like, oh my god, what the fuck did I just do? And Charlotte's like, no, it's okay. I think you'll find him very agreeable. To which Lizzie replies that that would be the worst thing ever, to find someone agreeable whom you are determined to hate. And... She is savage. She loves to hate him. I think that's burn four. That's burn four. Also, dare we say that Lizzie might be a little prejudiced? Yes, we might say that Lizzie might be a little prejudiced against Darcy. Yes. Interesting. But also, uh, one thing I noted, and Charlotte, again, coming in with all the sense in the world, mm -hmm. basically says, well, you can't go back and refuse him now because he is worth so much more money than you. Yeah, that she literally calls him a man of ten times more consequence than Wickham rude but like true and it made me mad because she's focusing on his wealth rather than his douchebaggery well yeah but charlotte again she is nothing if not super pragmatic yeah so she is really well aware that treating a rich guy poorly does not look good is a really bad idea when you are a regular middle class woman mm -hmm. like lizzie bennett is yeah. granted again as I've said before, we never venture into the downstairs. Everyone's rich enough to have servants and a home and an estate in these books. So everyone's got some level of wealth here. That being said, Lizzie has like nothing compared to Darcy. Right. And Charlotte's like, well, you might hate him, but you still have to be nice just for the sake of society. So they go to dance. And what it says in the, in the book is that she was amazed at the dignity to which she was arrived in being allowed to stand opposite Darcy and that all of her neighbors were amazed too. And I was like, does that just mean, what does that mean? To uh, when she was arrived, like everyone was like, ooh. I think she means that like he treated it like very seriously and she arrives there and she's like ready to dance with him and everyone's like, well, Elizabeth Bennett is dancing with the douchebag. Mm. I could be wrong. If any of our 3.8 listeners know whether or not I'm correct on this, you can always email us at podandprejudice at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Another reminder that that is our only spoiler heavy medium that yes. you can go to. No spoilers on the social media. None on the social media. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. 
The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So they go and they dance in absolute silence, and she's almost content with this, and then she realizes it would probably cause Darcy physical pain to talk to her, so she decides to say something. (laughs) She makes some comment on the dance, and he responds, and then he says nothing, and then she says, It is your turn to say something now, Mr. Darcy. I talked about the dance, and you ought to make some kind of remark on the size of the room or the number of couples. She is so fucking funny. She's savage. And he says that he will say whatever she wants him to say. And um, you know he's just going absolutely insane right now. Because again, he's got that sweet palm of her hand against the palm of his hand. And they are moving around a room, making eye contact. Mm -hmm. And um, it's unfortunately at this point, unfortunate for me, unfortunate for this podcast. But this is the point. Where I texted you, and I said, oh no, I'm shipping Lizzie and Darcy. So, for those of you who cannot see what's happening, Molly has buried her face in her hands. She is not ready for this. Literally, I felt myself. I used to be a big shipper. Like, I was on all the fan fiction websites reading about Harry and Hermione before I realized that that was wrong. It was wrong, it was wrong, I know it was wrong. But I would, like, do that. And I started to feel those old feelings. And I want them to date. (laughs) Because they're like standing really close to each other and their banter is so good. And they're like shooting each other down like sass master, sass master, sass master. And it's hot. I just want to take a moment to praise our Lord and Savior, Janie, Jane Austen right here, because I want to unpack this a little. Why right now have you decided that this is hot? It's because The way this is written Mm -hmm. is hot, isn't it? Yeah, this is like, they're, I don't, I think it's because the hate is so high right now. Like they're both just angsting at each other so much. And she's really subtly made Lizzie obsessed with him by the level of hate. And so then because he's always on her mind and because she accidentally said yes to dancing with him and because he was so awkward about it and because he doesn't really want to talk but he'll say whatever she wants him to say in like a he's saying it in a sassy way but it's hot and also kind of cute and i like that there's going to be a struggle because she's in love with someone else i mean she's in love with someone she has a crush on someone else who happens to be his mortal enemy things are getting spicy we're not even in austin after hours we're just in austin (laughs) 
So, yes, <laughs> she goes on to make a comment on how private balls are nicer than public balls, and I don't know what that means. Maybe she's commenting on the present company or trying to get him to talk about Wickham and how, like, it's so nice that he didn't have to invite him. Then he asks if she always talks while she's dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Again, going back to the sex metaphor, that is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she says, you know, it looked weird to be silent for half an hour together. Plus, some people need conversation to be arranged for them so that they may try to say as little as possible and take it as a challenge. And he says, are you talking about you or me? And she says both. They're very similar in that they are both antisocial, unwilling to speak unless they can say something that will amaze the whole room and be handed down to posterity like a proverb. Burn five. Burn five and six. That's like <laughs> ice cold. Yes. And he says, you know, clearly you're talking about me. And clearly you think you have me all figured out. Then he asks if she and her sisters often walk to Meryton. She says that they do. And she cannot hold her tongue. And she says that the last time he saw them there, they were making a new acquaintance. And he immediately is like stone cold, nothing on his face. Imagine for him, mortal enemy. Cute girl cutest girl in the world who calls him on his bullshit all the time which is hot for him so hot for him mm -hmm. apparently <laughs> and he's just like oh here we go she knows yep and it says that a deeper shade of hauteur spreads over his features uh i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but i looked it up and it means disdainful pride it's just a stank face stank face and he says Mr. Wickham is blessed with such happy manners as may ensure his making friends. Whether he may equally be capable of retaining them is less certain. Point one for Darcy. That is a good burn. Yeah, savage. <laughs> then she says he's been so unlucky as to lose your friendship and in a manner which he is likely to suffer from all his life. Basically coming to his defense and making it very clear to Darcy where her loyalties lie. Also making it very clear what story she knows. Yeah. And again, cannot emphasize enough how much Wickham's misfortune is life ruining yeah. for him so not a great moment for darcy as they're dancing no. they're still doing the touching of the palms like first time he touches lizzie and she has to bring up george wickham yeah oh poor darcy imagine that some of these moments happen while they're looking past each other and oh yeah like, and also you know. like they do this moments where they like stand side by side in yeah. the line and they're talking yeah. and they're like facing straight forward. When you see the movie, you will understand all these things. I'm very excited. So then William Lucas comes over. He's like going through the dance and he stops at them. And he's going on about how happy he is to see them dancing together and how, oh, Darcy dances so well. And then he hints that he hopes they'll dance together at Jane and Bingley's wedding. And Lizzie is like glaring at him, like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And he's like, oop. Gotta go, and he runs away. It's like that thing when you're at a party and everyone wants two people to hook up, but the more that people put pressure on it, the worse it's gonna be. It's just like, no, stop it. Yeah. We're just gonna let it happen. Yeah. And also because she doesn't want him to be hinting that they're gonna be dancing together there. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like yeah. one, she wants people to stop talking about Jane and Bingley out loud. But two, the fact that she's dancing with Darcy right now is mortifying for her. Oh. Yeah. Even though he's a great dancer, it's like even more mortifying, I think, than when she was dancing with stupid Collins. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, Mr. Collins, I'm just picturing a lot of foot stomping. Yeah. I know this isn't true because he's described as tall, but for some reason I picture him like a head shorter than her. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As they're dancing. <laughs> 
But the way I picture Lizzie and Darcy is like, you know, he's taller than her. They're like a handsome match. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of charged love-hate air in Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, when you were describing Collins just now, as we all know now, I just got back from Russia, and we went to St. Petersburg, and there's a statue of St. Peter there. Are you going to compare Mr. Collins to St. Peter? Yeah, sorry, actually not St. Peter, but Peter the Great, who is not who the place is named after, but Peter the Great. There's a statue of him, and he's called Peter the Great because he's very tall. It's, like, known that he's, like, somewhere in the six-foot something. Mm -hmm. So the statue of him is that height, sitting down. A head the size of the skull that they found for him, which is much smaller. Well, it would be proportional if he was a normal-sized body, but they made him his actual height and then decided to make him big for the greatness of Russia. So he's six foot, whatever, like six foot eleven, fat, with this tiny head and these giant hands because he has big hands, so they're like really long fingers. It's a disgusting statue. I'm, it's, (laughs) it's a nice statue. Anyway, the statue is is kind of weird, and when you were just describing Collins, I pictured that. And he's bald. I am genuinely speechless. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) that's what I'm picturing now. Thank you. That is a a new mental image, but definitely I pictured bald, large, meaty man. Tiny head. With a teeny head dancing with like a beautiful Elizabeth Bennet figure. It works. Yeah. Oof, yeah. wow, I'm gonna have nightmares. <laughs> like a fat Jack Skeleton. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the fingers and the. Yeah, he looks like him! Oh my god! Imagine going palm to palm with that. I don't wanna. <laughs> okay, um, okay, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so Darcy. Darcy is put off by the mention of Jane and Bingley's marriage. He, like, immediately snaps and stares at them, and he shakes it off, and is like, you know, I can't remember what we were talking about. And Lizzie says, I do not think we were speaking at all. Sir William could not have interrupted two people in the room who had less to say for themselves. Mega burn a thousand? Yeah. She is just roasting him. Roasting him. If we are counting for real, this is, like, six, right? Yeah, this is burn six. But also mega burn a thousand. Oof. Then he's like, well, we could talk about books. (laughs) He is trying so hard. He's trying so hard. She says they don't have the same taste in books, and he says, well, that's great. We can compare our opinions. And she says she can't talk about books in a ballroom. Her head is always full of something else. So you're always occupied by the present, meaning, like, with him right here. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But she's not paying attention at all. So then she realizes what she's said, then randomly blurts out that, you know, once you told me that you hardly ever forgave and your resentments once created was unappeasable. Therefore she supposes, that he must be careful when creating his resentment. Which, is like, this is from so long ago. It's literally all she can think about. Yeah. Wickham is so on her brain. Yeah, and he says, I, I am careful. And she says, you never allow yourself to be blinded by prejudice. And he says, I hope not. It's in the title, guys. And she says, you know, since you never change your opinion of someone, you must judge them properly at first. And he's like, why are you asking? And she says she's just trying to figure him out. Um, but she's really confused by all the different things she's been hearing about him. Which is fair. She's being honest. And he says that doesn't surprise him that she's heard a lot of different accounts of him. But he really wishes that she wouldn't make an attempt to pass judgment on him right now. Because it will make them both seem worse than they are. There's so much to unpack here. I mean, he's saying that she's getting a bad idea of him. And he doesn't want that. And that he thinks maybe, like, right now she shouldn't pass judgment. Maybe because in the future she'll see something different in him. And also that it'll make her look bad passing judgment on him because he knows that she's wrong. It's almost like he's super clever when he actually finds words. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best 
description of Darcy I think I could possibly give. Yeah, like he's smart, but he's so awkward. Yeah, I mean, he has no idea how to deal with his own hormones, but the moment she's talking to him about things that he genuinely feels strongly about and it kind of surpasses his attraction mm -hmm. to her, he's like, no... I'm going to come back at you hard with this. Yeah. Banter. Banter. Such good banter. She says that she might not get another chance to pass judgment on him. And he says that he would by no means then suspend any pleasure of hers, which is hot. And then they just stand there and they're dancing and then they part and they're both dissatisfied, but in different ways. Darcy feels in his heart a tolerable, powerful feeling towards her, AKA butterflies. Oh yeah. And so he's like easily forgiving all of the things she just said and turns his anger towards instead Wickham. Whereas she's like, Darcy. Yeah, he is not doing himself many favors here. No. And then Caroline comes over. Oh, you said you felt bad for her and that you liked her. Well, I still feel bad for I mean, technically I did write what a bitch, but <laughs> um, but she's she is a complex character. She comes up to Lizzie and's like, well, I hear you like Wickham. Did you know that his father was Darcy's father's steward? And by the way, he's been awful to Darcy and Darcy is not at all to blame. And then she says, I pity you, Miss Eliza, for this discovery of your favorite's guilt, but really considering his descent, one could not expect much better, which is bitchy. I love that Caroline's saying this because it's crystal clear that Caroline has no idea what transpired. Additionally, why does she care what Lizzie thinks of Darcy? She just is bullying Lizzie. She, yeah, but like, isn't it better for her to have Lizzie interested in someone else? Oh, for sure, but she has way too much fun dunking on Lizzie. Yeah, but like you said, she has no idea what transpired, and so she doesn't know that she's just telling Lizzie things that she already knows. You know that feeling that you get when you know something that other people don't know? Yeah. Some toxic people get real joy out of like ruining a person's day mm -hmm. because they have this information, and you're like, oh, sweetie, you didn't know? Oh my god, I'm so sorry to have to be the one to break this to you. That's so That's Caroline. That's so hard for you. And she just loves this idea. I think she yeah. wants to humiliate Lizzie mm -hmm. a little bit. And Lizzie's like, bitch, I already knew his dad was a steward. Mm -hmm. And maybe you don't know everything. Yeah. And that's exactly what she says. And then she walks away. And she goes to Jane to see what Bingley told her about this situation. And Jane is just glowing. And Lizzie's like, maybe she didn't even talk to him about it because she has nothing else to think about but him. But Jane says, no, no, I did talk to him about it. He doesn't know the whole story, but he's certain that Wickham is fully in the wrong. And Lizzie's like, um, okay, well, does he know Wickham? And she's like, no, he's never heard of him before yesterday. <laughs> and she, and then that kind of is like, for Lizzie, okay, that's just what Darcy's saying. So then she asks about the living, the money. And Jane says that Bingley says, that Darcy says, it was conditional only. So we don't know. Basically, Lizzie walks away with her mind, not changed at all. Which is basically Darcy bad, Wickham good, Bingley stupid. Yeah. Then she changes the subject to Bingley and Jane is so happy and she's talking about Bingley and then Collins comes over and says, oh my God, guys, guess what? <laughs> I heard somebody talking about Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Catherine de Bourgh. <laughs> and that her nephew is here and I must go say hello. This is a crossover for Lizzie. Yeah. Because we have not seen these two characters interact, nor are there two characters in this book less suited to interact yeah. than and, Darcy and Collins. And Lizzie's like, you are not going to go introduce yourself to Darcy. And he's like, oh, yes, I am. And she's like, please don't, please don't, please don't. Basically because she is feeling like her family 
right now is just gonna embarrass her and she doesn't want to be embarrassed. She also doesn't want Collins to embarrass Jane in front of Darcy who is connected to Bingley. Like, basically, please sit down, Mr. Collins. But Collins is going anyway. She says that Darcy's gonna be upset that he's addressing him without introduction and all of these class things. And Collins is like smiling and nodding and then he says, fully trusts Lizzie's judgment in matters within the scope of her understanding, but she cannot possibly understand introductions amongst members of the clergy. Oh my god, the mansplain moment. Oh my god, I was like, Mr. Collins, you are not able to mansplain this to Lizzie. You are not able to mansplain social interaction to a woman at least ten times better versed in it than you. Yeah, I gagged. So then he says, you know, after this, your advice will be my constant guide, basically being like, I'm going to marry you one day. And then he leaves her to, quote, attack Darcy. Lizzie just watches as Darcy is just staring at Collins, like, are you for real? And she watches Collins, like, bowing obscenely and, like, all of this stuff. And she watches Darcy be very unimpressed. And then Collins comes back and is like, that went great. And what's saddest is that he really believes it went great. Oh, he definitely believes it went great. He's like, wow, Darcy loves me. This is great. He does not. So, since Wickham isn't there, Lizzie turns all her attention to Jane and Bingley, and she starts to imagine their wedding, and she's thinking about how she could even try to like the sisters. But then... But then, <laughs> Mrs. Bennet is thinking the same thing. Loudly. Loudly. Talking about it, loudly, to Charlotte, and <laughs> talking about how great Bingley is, and how rich he is, and how the marriage is going to be so great for her other daughter. And oh my gosh, she can leave all of the girls in Jane's care so that she won't have to go into society so much But really nobody would be less likely to not want to go into society than mrs. Bennett She's basically like oh my god It's gonna be so great when Jane marries Bingley because then Jane will be rich and then all of my other daughters will get rich husbands Yes, she literally says that she's like oh now they're gonna get introduced to all of his rich friends And she has this line towards Charlotte being like don't worry You're gonna be just as happy one day and then it's says in the book, she does not believe that will be the case. Yeah. Fuck off, Mrs. Savage. Bennett. I mean, Charlotte is supposed to be kind of, quote, a spinster because she's mm -hmm. older than the Bennett sisters, but still. I love Charlotte. Charlotte is great, Mrs. Yeah. Bennett. Mrs. Bennett is just on cloud nine right now, and that makes her bitchy. I also um. like to think that Mrs. Bennett is not only on cloud nine, but also on cloud wine. As well. Yeah, this is dinner time, so. I am picturing her with like her like fourth glass of wine in her hand, yeah. like gesticulating wildly mm -hmm. and being like, yes, mm -hmm. when my daughter marries the rich guy. And who's right over there, by the way. He's right there. Look at how handsome he is. He is so cute. They're gonna have the best babies. I hope they don't get her nose, but like it'll be fine otherwise. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Lizzie's like, Mom, Mom, shut up. Please stop talking. And she's not going to stop talking. And she's like, but Darcy can hear you. And she says, what is Darcy to me, pray, that I should be afraid of him? I am sure we owe him no such particular civility as to be obliged to say nothing he might not like to hear. <laughs> Which clearly he heard. He heard that. And Lizzie's like watching him just glaring. Also, remember like two minutes ago when Charlotte was like, hey, we should not piss off a rich guy. Yeah, and now she's being the worst. And Lizzie is like, you're not gonna make yourself look good to Bingley by offending his best friend. And Mrs. Bennett just is like, nah, no, Bingley no, loves me. And so let's all embarrass Lizzie tonight. Somebody asks for some singing and Mary gets up. Oh God. <laughs> and Lizzie is staring at Mary like, please don't get up to sing, but Mary's not taking the hint. And Mary starts singing and Lizzie's like looking around and she sees her sisters and they're all like, 
I don't know what to do. And Mary's just bad, just trying so hard, and she thinks that she's good, and she's not. And finally, Lizzie makes eye contact with her dad, who I've forgotten is there. And Oh, yeah, Mr. Bennett basically doesn't factor into this party other than to watch his family. Lizzie's watching with, like, embarrassment, and Mr. Bennett's like, yeah, laughing. this is about right. Yeah, he's so amused. And so he makes eye contact with Lizzie, and he's like, okay, Mary, that's enough. Let's give someone else a chance. And Mary is heartbroken. She also doesn't take the hint. Yeah, she's like, wait, Mary, though pretending not to hear, was somewhat disconcerted. And Elizabeth, sorry for her and sorry for her father's speech, was afraid her anxiety had done no good. Mary is basically like, he says that, and she's like, all right, well, I think that's my time. Oh, and Lizzie's afraid that being embarrassed, it didn't cause any less embarrassment yeah. and also seriously hurt Mary's feelings. Yeah. Which it clearly did. Yeah, and it's kind of like if she was on American Idol and she got the like in the middle and then she stops and she's like, thank you. Was that on American Idol or was that on The X Factor? I don't know. I think it's on The X Factor. They have the buttons. Yeah. I think they have it on American Idol too because you can mm. do the golden buzzer. No, that's The X Factor. American Idol is Simon Cowell sitting in a room being mean and being like, No, no, Stop, no, but you're... like for the one on the stage. Yeah, there's, that's... There's American Idol too. Cause you can That's American the, Idol? Well, it's similar to the X Factor, but you can get the golden buzzer and then golden shower falls all over you and it's kind of yeah, reminiscent golden of shower. Zeus. Yeah. Zeus? Zeus. Like the, the Greek god? Yeah, the golden shower. Oh, okay, that golden shower. It's okay. like still semen, but... The golden shower is not semen. It is for Zeus. What? <laughs> Do you not know this story? No. Is it Roman or Greek? Here's the thing. So the last I heard about this was when I was in Russia. And so it wasn't my tour guide's first language. So she was saying it's Diana and the God. But like I had always known it was the golden shower of Zeus. What does Zeus's semen have to do with this? So Danae, Diana, is an Argive princess and mother of the hero Perseus by Zeus. Oh. And she, she's laying there. And Zeus comes in with the golden shower, impregnates her. So golden shower means something very different nowadays. What does it mean nowadays? So we have an E on this podcast for a reason. Honey, a golden shower refers to sexual peeing. What? When your kink is to have someone pee on you or to pee on someone, it is called giving someone a golden shower. Well, it's probably come from the, the Greeks. So, did Zeus pee on Danae? No, it's semen. Oh my god. I mean, it's Zeus, so he can literally make a kid out of anything, mm -hmm. including a goat. Yes, this is true. Did you really not know what a golden shower was? Correct. Oh my god. Guys, I, I think I took three years off my life in the last three minutes. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Oh I, my god. I'm a baby. <laughs> so back to this pure romantic comedy written by Jane Austen. Yes, so, um, <laughs> Where were we? So Mary sings, everyone's like, oh no, then Mary stops singing. Mary is sad, Lizzie feels bad, and then Collins decides to talk. And Collins like, oh, if I could sing, I would, but I can't. Then it's why say anything? But here's the thing, it would still be proper for a man of the clergy. Unfortunately, I have too many other things to do to focus on singing, like, and then he lists all of the other things that a man of the clergy has to do, such as interior design. <laughs> <laughs> And being kind to everyone, especially those to whom he owns his preferment, and I cannot stress this enough, those who are connected with the family he serves, and then he turns to Darcy and bows. Literally everyone can hear this, and he's being such a suck-up, and Lizzie is like, oh my god, burying her head in her face, but she seems, she notices. She's burying her head in her face? You are flustered, my dear. I'm flustered. 
<laughs> so is Lizzie. So Lizzie's it's fine. Flustered. Lizzie's like, oh my god, at least Bingley isn't changing his opinions on Jane based on this because she's watching him and she's like most concerned with that. Still, Darcy and the, the sisters now have reasons to mock their family. So that's not great. Then Lizzie spends the rest of the evening sitting by Collins who won't let her dance with anyone else and she's like, why don't you go dance with someone else? And he says his only aim is to be with her. And Darcy spends the rest of the night standing near Lizzie and saying nothing. Which is Darcy's like number one move with Lizzie. It's on brand. Mrs. Bennett makes sure their carriage won't pick them up until 15 minutes after everyone else has left. Which is a really bad move and also to me says that Mrs. Bennet is just trashed. I know she might not be, but this is drunk mom behavior to yeah. the max. She like called her driver and was like, just circle around the block a few more times. No, but have you ever been the last at a party? Yes. You feel very unwanted. Well, when I was in college, I... <laughs> I thought that that made me really special, so I kind of see where she's coming from, but now I understand. Well, it depends. You were also friends with the people who lived in the big party house your senior year? Yeah, my senior year. I'm talking about freshman year, when I didn't know anyone. Oh no, I have no. pictures of me. Basically, when I was in college, I would be the last one at parties and I would sit with a box of cereal that was handed to me. I don't know why I was still there. Who was walking me home? I don't know, but I've only, like, I've been the last at parties when I've been trying to, like, make a move on someone and they've been slow. Mm. But usually I'm like, oh, God, I have overstayed. It's not great. And everyone's tired. And the sisters are, like, complaining about how tired they are. And even Lydia's complaining about how tired I was going to say Lydia's is. complaining yeah. about how tired if she Lydia is. If Lydia wants to go home, it's time to go home. Oh, yeah. But Mrs. Bennett... And Jane and Bingley are all kind of unaware of what's going on around them. Well, because Jane and Bingley are just kind of like off in their corner. Yeah, so they're off in the corner. Darcy's standing there saying nothing. And Mr. Bennett is watching the whole thing, just being amused by it. And I think that Mr. Bennett and Darcy would really get along. They do not interact much at this they point, don't, do they? But I feel like they'd be bros. They both they're just hating everyone. Hate everyone. <laughs> yeah, in like a hot way, like Daddy Bennett and Daddy Darcy. Then Mrs. Bennet says that she hopes to see everyone soon at Longbourn, especially Bingley, whom she invites to come to dinner anytime without formal invitation. He says, as soon as I return from London, I will, which apparently he is leaving for London the next day on business. And then when they leave, Mrs. Bennet persuaded that Jane will be married in three to four months, precisely, and Lizzie soon after, though, being that Lizzie is her least favorite daughter and Collins isn't as rich as Bingley, she doesn't care quite as much about that. Which is just such a sour note to end on, Mrs. Yeah. Bennet. And that ends those three chapters of Pride and Prejudice. Which brings me to Becca's study questions. So we have a couple here. The first one I have is Wickham versus Darcy. Who do we believe? Or what do we believe? Who's telling half-truths? Who's fully lying? Well, Darcy hasn't even made any claims, to be fair, to Darcy. Which I feel like if he had something to hide, he would try to cover it up. Right? I mean, it's Darcy, so he's bad at social interactions. That's true, that's true. But um, I'm also not going to spoil this for you. Right, right, right. So I think I really do like Wickham. I think that he's a stand-up guy. And for some reason, I don't believe his side of the story. I believe that he was cheated out of a lot of money, but I don't believe that Darcy purposefully did that. Or even if Darcy did purposefully do that, I understand the fact that he like feels so sad that his father didn't love him. So there's something going on on both sides that I don't know who to believe. I have no reason to not believe Wickham. I believe his story, but I don't believe that he knows the motives. That's a good place to leave it. <laughs> I just read your next question. My next question. Wickham versus Darcy. Who should Lizzie bang? Team Dizzy or Team Lickham? 
Which I wrote ew next to. <laughs> you know, in any other situation other than today, I would have said Team Lickum, but today I became Team Dizzy. She is face palming again that seems to go along with the fact that she thinks Darcy and Lizzie are kind of hot together. It's so hot! <laughs> I've done like a complete 180 and I'm so, I feel so just embarrassed by myself, <laughs> but I am pro Dizzy. I think she should bang them both probably at separate times. That is a 21st century take for the masses. <laughs> All right, next we have Mr. Collins. We have this forming love triangle mm -hmm. between Lizzie, Wickham, and Darcy. Oh my God, and I forgot about Lady Catherine de Bourgh's daughter. Catherine de Bourgh. There are several different facets to this love triangle. Mm -hmm. We are from Lizzie's perspective. So really the two main focuses are Darcy, who she hates, mm -hmm. and Wickham, who she wants to bang and shaved her legs for. Mm -hmm. And then... Oh my god, I want to draw this out. <laughs> oh yes, this yeah. is definitely something we need to draw out and put on, our, put on our Instagram as yes. well. Uh, so we have Lizzie here, and then offshoot of Lizzie you have Wickham, then you have Darcy going the other way. Mm -hmm. And Darcy's clearly got it in for Lizzie. Wickham yep. also clearly has kind of a Wickham thing likes for, her, yeah. for Lizzie. And the two of them loathe each other clearly, and it's unclear what happened. Yeah. Then. Going off of Darcy, you have Baby DeBerg. Baby DeBerg over there. And Caroline Bingley. Oh yeah! Trying so hard to hit that, but so failing at it that you forgot. Yeah, I totally forgot. And then, coming off of all of that, you have Mr. Collins doing like a running leap, trying to get into this love triangle, trying to win Lizzie's hand, but mostly because she's the most attractive Bennett sister who's, not, attractive who's not taken. Yeah. And because he, quote, feels bad about the family money and feels like it's time to get married. Oh my God, this is complicated. You thought this was gonna be straightforward. You genuinely thought that this story was just the characters laid out in the first like three chapters. I really did. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm shipping Lizzie and Darcy, but I also do like Wickham. And like, I'm into this whole fight that's about to happen. Like I want those two to fight each other. I want Lizzie to want to be with Wickham and I want them to get together and then have her like realize that Darcy's really hot after the fact or like realize that Wickham did something really bad. And then I want Darcy to like be in an unhappy marriage to Baby DeBerg. And, ah! and I want Caroline to just like try to sabotage the whole dang thing. And I want Collins to like have to settle for Lydia. <laughs> Poor Lydia. Yeah, or Mary. Oh, they would actually be a good pair. They would be a good pair. They're both kind of gay. Yeah. Okay. Actually, no, I take that back. Collins is the straightest man ever. Well, you know, Collins could be no, presenting really straight. I don't want to offend anyone here, but no gay man I know mansplains at that rate. You're right. You're right. Anyway, next question. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about this, but the Wickham-Darcy story is just drenched in class yeah. struggles. It's dark. And we've talked a lot about class on this podcast, partially because these Bennett sisters are marrying to escape a destitute class. Mm -hmm. Wickham has sort of hit worst case scenario for his class, except he was able to sort of salvage something out of it by joining the military, mm -hmm. which isn't like, it's not great, but it's not bad. Yeah. Basically, this is a whole other thing, but British imperialism gave a lot of guys without money an opportunity to sort of make it up in the world in Britain, which is really hard to do. So good for him on that front. Yeah. But there is this element to the story that I want to unpack that is very clearly geared towards the fact that Darcy does have some of this classism in him 
And Wickham has Some. Wickham has clearly suffered a lot of class plight. Thoughts. Darcy is the most classist person in this book so far. Maybe Mrs. Bennet is up there too. And I think that if the story is true, Darcy is the reason that Wickham has fallen from grace, as it may be, because he took this money away or didn't give the money to him. And I think his hatred towards him might be coming from this, this place of classism because Wickham's father was a servant, basically, to his family. A high up servant, but a servant, if our definition is correct. And he was upset that a poor person was higher in his father's esteem than him. Basically, it all comes back to class. They probably have tons to talk about if they just like talked about things. They probably would get along. But Darcy only shows his true colors or whatever, or his, his good colors, rather, to the rich. Okay. Next up, I wanted to talk about the dancing, mm -hmm. which we kind of already talked about. But we are talking about the first physical interactions between all of these characters. Every ounce of this sort of flirtation rat king that we have going on here... <laughs> I don't really know what I'd call it a smorgasbord. Everyone is flirting with each other. Everyone is trying to bang each other. It's a mess. It is a hormonal mess in this book. Mm -hmm. But everyone's just talking and staring and exchanging witticisms. Mm -hmm. The dance is the moment where finally that skin-to-skin -skin contact comes in and people get to actually like be in each other's space and vicinity. I get it now. It's like how in Chekhov the walls are really thin and that's why nobody ever says what they really mean and that's why subtext is a thing. Mm -hmm. And you get it once you go to his estate and you like see how small everything is and how close quarters the rooms are. These people have so many strict rules of courting and like of etiquette that they have to follow so they don't get to interact in this way so they're all so excited about the dances all the time especially Kidia they're just like so excited to like go dance with the officers because when else are they gonna get to touch them exactly yeah and like talk face to face like with your faces up next to each other yeah it's a huge part of the like courting the excuse to touch each other mm -hmm. Oh man, it it's, is like a seventh grade health class yeah, up in here. Yeah, it gets oh. me really excited for the dances. <laughs> I just like, when's the next dance gonna be so that they can talk again? I know, you sound like Lydia. I really feel like Lydia. Oh, oh my gosh. Next thing I put down here, Lizzie's family yikes moment. Oh, so many yikeses. Yeah, the entire end of the ball is just like a large Bennett family yikes. I want to talk about why Lizzie's so embarrassed mm -hmm. and the stakes of the embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Lizzie is not one to care much about what other people think about her unless yeah. she has to. I don't think that it's about her. Personally, I think that she's concerned for Jane and Bingley, and she doesn't want people to think that Bingley's marrying down. How could you marry down to Jane? Jane is awesome. So cool, but if her family is trash, and I think that Lizzie kind of got a hint that the sisters think that, or like many heavy-handed hints. And to be fair, Mrs. Bennet on Cloud Wine, not ideal for Jane to look like she's not trash. Yeah. So she's embarrassed about that. And then part of me wants to think that she doesn't want Darcy trash talking her and her family because she's a little obsessed with him. Yeah. And I don't know why she cares because at this point I don't think that she, well, I, I think why she cares. She doesn't know why she cares. I know why she cares. Looks like you didn't shave your legs for nothing tonight, Lizzie. <laughs> So there's a lot going on there and it's all charged by sex. Yes. Yes. Pride and prejudice underneath is just sex and a golden shower. So next up, we are going to talk about the Debergs. 
Deberg. There's a lot more background on the Debergs here. A lot of plots just kind of converged on each other. Yeah, it got so exciting. Yeah. I was into it. Yeah, because I remember asking you what you thought of the Debergs. And I was like, I don't care. And now you kind of see that they are related to this story. First I was wondering about Darcy's mom. I like said that before. I was like, where's Darcy's mom? Turns out maybe she's dead, but her sister is Catherine de Bourgh. Catherine de Bourgh! And that means that Darcy is basically pre-married to his cousin, you know, as they do back then. Back to the themes that I love to bring up because I am your favorite analytical non-English major other than Molly, who was also not an English major in college. And not an English major at Instagram. That's her poetry Instagram. Yes. But one of my big things that I keep bringing up here are these economic dynamics of marriage. Mm -hmm. This is a really great nugget of that. Because we have these Bennett sisters <gasps> who are yeah. marrying up mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. need to marry up. Mm -hmm. And Lizzie's like, what well, do I want to marry for love? And her mom's like, well, you need to be fed. It is different on Darcy's level mm -hmm. because these are the highest people in society mm -hmm. and they are consolidating power at the highest level through marriage. That's what they're doing. We mm -hmm. have these giant fortunes mm -hmm. that if they come together will create an even more giant fortune and also probably some bad genes because they are cousins. Yeah. But Jane Austen kind of ignores that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but also their servant or their clergyman, I'm sorry, he's not a servant. Different. Their lower down person who they work with, mm -hmm. Mr. Collins, is trying to marry Lizzie. His cousin. His cousin. I Additionally, that would make their two families all interconnected because he's Lizzie's cousin and he works for the DeBergs, and the DeBergs are related to the Darcys, and so Darcy's over here and Lizzie's over here, and they're connected by this dolt, and they're both lower down than these two over here. Yeah. And for everyone who's listening to this and not watching my hand motions, I just laid out a map in the air. This is just very intricate, and I don't know if anything I just said made sense, but it's just like the two lower downs and the two higher ups. That does make sense. It makes a lot of sense and because... <laughs> and they're both pre-engaged to each other basically because Darcy and this other girl, Baby DeBerg, are already engaged to be married essentially and does Lizzie really have a choice with Mr. Collins? Like her mom wants them to get married so they probably will and they're both, ah, oh, whew. And then there's Wickham who's like totally uh, also a lower down in Darcy's family. Probably a lower down than Lizzie as well. Mm -hmm. And so outside of his military career, penniless. But come on, can you really be worthless with all those beautiful abulars. <laughs> I have no idea what Wickham looks like. I've actually even forgot who plays him in the film. I think he has a mustache. Oh god. And like flowing hair. Are you just picturing Fabio? No. I think who I picture for him kind of actually, this isn't who plays him, but Christian Bale. Oh. Sort of character. No, I'm not a big fan of Christian Bale. Not even Circle like when he was in Midsummer Night's Dream playing Demetrius. I haven't seen that. Let's look that up. It's not a great production of Midsummer Night's Dream, but Stanley Tucci does play Puck in it. Wow. And Michelle Pfeiffer plays Titania, and it was produced and directed by none other than Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh. Wow. Oh, uh-huh. I kind of picture that, but like in a lobster coat. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, sure. He's got a permanent duck face. A duck face? He's going like this. He's pouty because he got them lips and that jawbone. Yeah, I can totally see this. And he's got that sort of gentle or, way that on. Christian Bale talks. Hang on, hang on. If you say Zachary Quinto no, again. <laughs> um, one moment. She is right. She has pulled up Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You 
Excellent choice. Thank you. Excellent oh, choice wow. for picturing Wickham. I'm glad we've decided who plays Wickham. What's the next question? Oof. Yeah, that was my last of our chapter-specific mm. questions, which means we are on to my favorite three at the end of every episode. We have funniest quote. I wouldn't say it's like the funniest line so much as the one that tells me the most about the characters in a way that I finally feel in on it. So I'm like, ha 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 ha. Mm-hmm. It's two lines. Jane says after hearing all of this about Wickham and Darcy, he says, hmm, it is difficult indeed. It is distressing. One does not know what to think. And Lizzie says, I beg your pardon. One knows exactly what to think. I feel like that is also true of the way we think as well. <laughs> yeah. Thankful God, I know you know we gotta think about it. And I'm like, no, we can hate them. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh my God, so I'm Jane and you're Lizzie. Aww. Aww. Love it. So that's the funniest quote we have. What is your question moving forward, your big one? My biggest question moving forward is, does Darcy know that he is supposed to marry his cousin? Interesting. I like that question. Mm -hmm. Who wins the chapter? Well, Lydia won the first chapter for me. Stellar. Just by being who she is. Darcy won the chapters. You heard it here, folks. It's just that he won me over. Molly just said that Darcy won her over and that he won this set of chapters with his inescapably awkward dance with Elizabeth that is also charged to the max with their palms touching and their eyes meeting and him asking her what books she likes. Good for you, Darcy. You did it, you You old scoundrel. Ah, man. You know, there's still time for my mind to change, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have today. Just a couple housekeeping things. We are now all set up on social media. Yes. So please give us a follow at Pod and Prejudice on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have questions or want to comment on anything I've said or yell at me for uh, any of my hot takes on this book, (laughs) you can email me at podandprejudice at gmail.com. The email is the only place you can give spoilers because Molly will not be tricking. And you can also like our Facebook page at Pod and Prejudice on Facebook. You can also find us on Patreon if you want to help us get a second microphone so that we don't have to hover over the same one. That would be great. That would be fantastic. Either way, that is all we have today for our episode. Next time, you're going to see a couple dicey chapters. Those of you who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I have no idea what you're talking about at all. So until then, stay proper and find a husband. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick with art by Torrance Brown. Special thanks to our audio producer, Graham Cook, without whom we would sound like garbage fire. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Prejudice. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash pod and prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our newest patron, Marina.